0: Hello and welcome to The Other Half Podcast, a show about life, perspectives, questions, and Jesus. Today is a bonus episode. It's hosted solely by me, Travis. I am without the wonderful Jola and Cheryl today, and I apologize if they're your favorite parts of the show. They're my favorite parts of the show, too. Uh, We want to do bonus episodes once in a while where you hear from maybe one or just two of us, and you get unique perspectives, and we're gonna get right into it, and we're not gonna have the normal format today since it's just me. Uh, I have some things I want to discuss, so I'm gonna dive right into it. I've recently had a few discussions with fellow white male Christian friends of mine about the lynching of Ahmaud Arbery, and in each of those discussions, there was rhetoric used that really bothered me. Um, this episode is coming to you delayed. I know Ahmad Arbery's lynching feels like old news at this point several months later, but it's not old news. It's still vitally important, um, and that was a redundant statement, but it It's still important because this sort of thing still happens and it's part of a larger problem that happens in our country. And so this is coming delayed because it took time for me to process uh, the problems and what I was hearing from friends in these discussions. In this episode, I want to break down those discussions to help us examine the things that we think and say about race. And when I say we, I basically mean Christian white people. You could even drop the Christian off that a lot of the time. Um, And I'm doing this episode because a lot of us, including myself, need to continue to process the way that we approach injustices like the lynching of Ahmaud Arbery and other cases in which people of color are mistreated and killed by state authorities. This is about how white people must battle white supremacy through self-reflection, unlearning, and new learning while more highly valuing diversity. It's about rhetoric and implicit biases. Most of the material in this episode is from a single discussion, but many of the points are ones that I hear consistently in similar discussions. So here's the disclaimer. I'm keeping this anonymous because I don't want this to be received as a jab at anyone. It isn't. This is simply an examination of problematic rhetoric, Postures, mindsets. uh, And we're all in process, right? We're all unlearning and learning anew, and that is fantastic. We should always be doing that. So, if there's a point in this episode where you are feeling like you're being rubbed the wrong way or you're starting to feel a bit defensive, I encourage you to stop, press pause just for a minute or two, and ask yourself why you feel that way. Examine those feelings and know from the start of all of this, that this is not a personal attack on anyone. It's an attack on racism, which is an evil that seeks to corrupt every single one of us, right? So first I wanna read my initial social media post that brought us to the conversation with my friend, and then I'll jump into that.
1: Here's what I wrote. Lynching is still an issue. White supremacy and racism within United
0: States of America's systems of justice are still issues. The lynching of Ahmad Aubrey isn't a random vigilante act by deranged or unusual individuals. This is the result that we consistently see of the racist spirit of the United States, evidenced by her history. The sin of racism is inherent in our culture, laws, and hearts. This country was established to benefit white people off the suffering, broken backs, and stolen lives of people of color. That root has not been destroyed or cut off and its fruit continues to grow. Not just in lynching, but in mass incarceration and a myriad of other ways. Injustices like this should not exist. We must work hard to be better as a society To be a society that is purged of our evils. I can sign a petition, participate in vigils, protest, and call for justice from authorities, but I must, must, must also see within myself. I must address my own biases and privileges. I must unlearn the US history and cultural values handed down to me by predominantly white voices. I must learn from people of color. I must know people of color and love people of color. I must use what I have received to bring forth equality, equity, and justice for all of my neighbors. If I want us to change, then I first have to change. So let us hold the powers accountable. Let us not give in to hate. Let us remove, let us remember that people aren't the enemy. They are the tools of poison that has gripped them. Let love and a
1: pursuit of justice bloom within self as we fight hard against the evil within and surrounding. My friend after reading this told me that they disagreed with my use of the term
0: lynching, saying that they couldn't call this incident a lynching. They just couldn't say that. They wanted to know why I thought race was a part of the incident and mentioned that they hadn't heard that same perspective that I was sharing from anyone else. And that's what made them curious about my perspective. I think their question was genuine. They said that Ahmad was a criminal and a quote unquote, a really bad person, evidenced by the fact that he had been caught on video multiple times and that he took a gun to a school basketball game once. In fact, instead of using Ahmad's name, this friend of mine only referred to Ahmad as the criminal. They argued that mod or the criminal, resisted arrest and grabbed the man's gun when the armed man was simply standing his ground. They then asked me, couldn't you have written, uh, criminal resists arrest and ex- and accidentally gets shot after he reaches for weapon? As I told my friend, I couldn't frame it that way. I just couldn't. I told him that I couldn't because That's not what happened. And I didn't explain it to my friend at the time because I was still processing, Uh, but after processing, I can say that that narrative and that rhetoric used by my friend, uh, which I've heard from other friends again, blames and dehumanizes the victim while presenting the killers as innocent and upstanding
1: citizens, perhaps even victims themselves. It's a complete role reversal. It's gaslighting.
0: The hard part for a lot of us to accept is that this narrative and this rhetoric is the result of white supremacy ideology infiltrating the worldview of so many of us white male Christians in the United States. And not just males. I can can drop that off. That's just the demographic of people that I've had this specific discussion with. And I'm not exempt from any of that. I have to wrestle this out daily, which is why it took
1: me so long to process this uh, and why I had to process it with other people before I could really write it all down and share it. And to be clear, I'm not calling my friend a white supremacist, any of them.
0: He isn't, they aren't. Uh, None of them wear white hoods or burn crosses or swastikas. Uh, They're not bigots, in fact, the person I've had this initial discussion with is someone who introduced me to a life of loving others. But he, like me, has been influenced by the rhetoric and ideology of white supremacy, and
1: that manifests when we hear words like lynching. It's a trigger for us. We're all unlearning
0: what we have inherited, knowingly or or unknowingly.
1: This video um, I'm referencing for this episode
0: uh, is from a lawyer and a gun advocate. Personally, I am uh, against guns. I'm against weaponry in general. Uh, So I have disagreements with this person that I'm going to be referencing. So I want that to be clear just because I think it's helpful to know that we can listen to people who have differing opinions. Right. We don't have to agree on everything. And so Colian uh, Noir is the author of this video that I'm going to be discussing. And he looks at what was at the time newly surfaced video of what Ahmad Arbery had been doing before the lynching. And he breaks down why legally Ahmad Arbery was not committing a criminal act and why his murderers, Travis and Greg McMichael, were committing illegal acts. Obviously, this flips on its head the rhetoric of Ahmed being referred to as the criminal and Travis and Greg McMichael um, being good citizens and extensions of the law. I want to highlight the points from this video uh, and also suggest another problematic layer to all this, which is, as I've already mentioned, the rhetoric being used and where that comes from. A lot of this could have been said and was said before the secondary videos were made public. But white folks often say, hey, let's wait until the details come out. And that sounds super reasonable. And it's not unreasonable to reserve final judgment when there's little evidence available. This wasn't one of those times. My friend even said this sort of thing, stating that they didn't have a preferred narrative yet because they were, quote-unquote, because there were, quote-unquote, too many things still to be revealed. And they said, at the end of all of it, to their credit, may justice in this whole thing be swift for these men if they committed a hate crime. There's no place for that to be tolerated. I'll circle back to that sign-off near the end of this episode, but for right now, before we get into the points from this video of the lawyer,
1: let's take a break.
0: Welcome back to this bonus episode of The Other Half Podcast. We're getting into the lawyer Colin Noir's um, examination of why Ahmad Arbery was not committing a crime. According to the video evidence, Ahmad wasn't committing any criminal activity because it's not illegal to enter a home that is under construction and then to look around. Ahmad committed no trespassing, no burglary, and no vandalism. So none of those laws were broken. And in fact, the owner of the video uh, claims that Ahmad had entered the property multiple times, but he also affirms that Ahmad had never stolen anything, had never vandalized, and had never even been told not to enter the property. There were no signs or warnings um, to not trespass, to not come on the property. And thus, there's no legal precedence for considering him to have committed a crime in the manner of trespassing, burglary, or vandalism. You are allowed by law to walk up and look around to an open construction site. You can do that. And at this point, I think it's also worth saying most of us have probably done that and don't think that we should have been killed for it or arrested or even harassed in any way.
1: Uh, On to the second point. Ahmad never resisted arrest. That didn't happen,
0: because this wasn't an arrest. It was a citizen's arrest, and that's not the same thing as an arrest performed by police officers. Beyond that, it was a wrongful citizen's arrest on every single front. I'll get to that in a few minutes when we examine uh, the McMichaels and what they did. But for now, it's worth knowing that Ahmad did not resist a legitimate arrest. Ahmad was allowed to stand his own ground. This is happening in Georgia. Um, And in Georgia, you're allowed to stand your ground, right? Self-defense with lethal means can be legal. Uh, The wrongful armed citizen's arrest looked more like an attack. It looked like a lynching. We have a black man running down the street, jogging down the street. People in trucks with guns show up yelling at him, blocking his path,
1: trying to get him to come over to them. That's frightening. It was not only legal for Ahmad to fight back to try and stop these men with guns,
0: but it was reasonable because his life was at risk. And he, like
1: everyone else, wants to live and to escape any threat of death. As a side note here, in a lot of these discussions
0: I've had with people, they, we appeal to stand your ground laws when the white men uh, perceived a threat of robbery, right? That's what they blamed it on. They said they suspected this guy had committed a robbery, so they're gonna chase him down and arrest him as citizens. Um, And so we'll say these guys were right to stand their ground because they perceived that there was a threat of robbery, and we're fine with that. But we don't appeal to the stand your ground when this black man is attacked and outnumbered, when he's outgunned and his life is threatened. We say these guys protecting property should be allowed to chase someone down but the person being chased down should not be allowed to defend themselves and escape death. But we have to remember that life is more valuable than property. Self-defense where you stand is more to the point of stand your ground than chasing someone down is. And like the threat came to mod. It did not come to the McMichaels. In fact, it wasn't even their property that they were trying to avenge. A real threat to someone's safety, a person's safety, is more legitimate than a
1: perceived threat to someone's property. That's something we have to accept.
0: So, in summary, Ahmad wasn't committing a crime because, by all accounts, um, according to video evidence, the owner of the videos, he never committed any kind of trespassing, no burglary and no vandalism. He never uh, resisted an actual arrest. He didn't even resist a rightful citizen's arrest. And he followed the law the entire time by standing his own ground, never using lethal force against someone else,
1: just trying to stop lethal force against him. But what about the McMichaels? Because
0: the lawyer would suggest they were actively committing crimes that they should be held to account for. They weren't just, um, it's not just that Ahmad was innocent, it's that these men are guilty. So let's go through his bullet points really quick, and then I wanna get into the rhetoric behind all this and the mindset that's behind it all and why that's problematic. So while the McMichaels were, were committing
1: crimes, back to the citizen's arrest. It didn't comply with any citizen arrest criteria. Uh, A crime or a felony wasn't
0: actually witnessed. It was assumed. And the McMichaels admit that on their 911 call. They think he committed a robbery. They don't know. It wasn't in their line of sight. They did not witness a felony. Never happened. Number two, trespassing and or burglary are not felonies. They wouldn't qualify for a citizen's arrest in the first place. So even if the McMichaels had witnessed uh, Ahmad stealing something from this construction site, it wouldn't warrant a citizen's arrest. Third, Arbery didn't flee a crime scene um, or a legitimate attempt at an arrest. The chase didn't even begin until Ahmad had already left the property and was down the street. He'd been continuing his jogging routine
1: when the McMichaels got in their truck and chased him down, right? They didn't claim at the time to be pursuing a citizen's arrest, but
0: rather initially they claimed that the shooting was their own self-defense. The citizen's arrest claim came later to avoid them being charged with any crimes. So it's an after-the-the-fact thing, right? If it was actually a citizen's arrest, you think they would have said that from the get-go, but they don't. Uh, and in a citizen's arrest, you're allowed to detain as a citizen, but you can't use any kind of excessive force. Using guns on people is excessive force. And the fact that the McMichaels showed up with guns shows that they had an intent, or at least a willingness
1: to use them. And we know that because they were loaded. So we know that it was a false citizen's arrest,
0: right? Because it doesn't meet any of the criteria. In every single way, it goes against the criteria. But here's the kicker is that Greg McMichael, who is the person leading this illegal citizen's arrest, isn't even permitted to commit such an action. He had an expired training for citizens' arrest. So this is a guy who previously had been trained in how to make a citizen's arrest. He
1: knows the rules of how to make a citizen's arrest and he still went against all of them. Attempting to make a citizen's arrest falsely is a crime in itself. Blocking the road with your vehicles, hey
0: that's a traffic law, that's another crime being broken. But the big one here, right? is a fake citizen's arrest that ends in the killing of a man and I pointed it out earlier, but another piece is this is that hunting down somebody is not standing your ground standing your ground happens when someone attacks you right when they approach you with a threat of violence and you commit self-defense. The McMichaels ran after drove after chased town Ahmad Arbery they were on the offensive right they were the aggressors they instigated this confrontation and they did it with lethal weapons they weren't on their own property they weren't responding to any kind of threat to themselves or their own property
1: they just thought maybe this is the black guy that we think is stealing stuff let's go get him Greg McMichael is also a former police department employee who knew the law,
0: and yet he still spearheaded this illegal citizen's arrest anyway, and gathered others to join him in committing the crime. That says a lot. Not only was he trained in citizen's arrest, he's a former police department employee. There's no excuse for him uh when it comes to not knowing whether or not this is legal action he knows it's all
1: illegal but maybe that experience in the police department plays a role and i'll get back to that in a bit
0: the final point i want to make on uh the mcmichaels is that the shots fired on the mod aren't his own doing my friend suggested hey can't you just say that uh a criminal tried to get someone's gun and ended up getting shot, and that's not what happened. He was fighting to get the gun away from Travis McMichael. That's true, absolutely, and why wouldn't he, right? Um, But Travis McMichael
1: shot Ahmad. Ahmad did not receive only one bullet in his body. There were multiple shots. This wasn't an accident. It was an intentional shooting. It was an intentional causing of harm. It was an
0: intentional
1: hunting of a human being. There were other people there with guns themselves. It wasn't one man having a dispute. It was several men chasing down a a black man, several white men doing it. and we know that more than one gun went off. This isn't the fault of the person being killed, who's being chased. That's the victim. We need to remember that. I also wanna talk now about why the foundation and the rhetoric of this narrative is so problematic.
0: Like in this discussion with my friend, he said these things
1: that are problematic and I wanna look at them I want to examine them because they come from somewhere right and we all do this um we all have implicit bias
0: we we all lean one direction towards one perspective and there's a reason we do it we've been influenced and as soon as we come back from the break we're going to jump into it and that'll be the final part of our show today welcome back to our bonus episode we're in the final section in which we're going to examine some of the elements of the discussion I had with my friend and uh, what was problematic about the
1: way they were framing things and why we maybe frame things that way a lot of the time Um, again
0: this is a general issue of importance for all white folks and it's a challenge for all of us in that category to intend intentionally work hard to address our own internal biases, to address our blind spots, and call into question why do I think what I think, why do I default to the positions I default to, um, and how do I maybe shake that up? The first thing is um, the mention of race and the term lynching weren't encountered by my friend before they were before I said it. No one else in their world was saying these things. A black man was chased down and killed by three white men
1: and he hadn't heard that race was a part of it and he didn't hear the word lynching from anyone else. That's a problem. Um, Finding this perspective multiple times over
0: that race is involved and that lynching is an appropriate term it took me a few seconds of online searching to encounter it and i found it on even conservative news sources and not only news sites but pastors speakers authors activists and other prominent black people were using this language immediately i'm from i'm talking from the get go so if so many people are saying this is a race issue and this is a lynching but that's not being heard by a, a white person It means that the diversity of voices doesn't exist for that person. White folks often have an overwhelmingly disproportionate amount of white voices influencing them. Um, They don't hear as many black voices, native voices, Asian voices. And this is true in our churches in our classrooms, our workplaces, on our bookshelves, in our movie collections, in our podcast libraries, in our music collections. We hear predominantly white voices and thus uh, drown out the voices of people of color. And so we don't hear those perspectives, or we at least don't consider them as readily because we just don't access them. And it's not that we can't access them. We just don't. And to be clear, people of color and black people are not monolithic, right? Uh, I'm not trying to say white people don't have people of color in their lives if they're defaulting to these postures, right? Maybe we do have people of color in our lives, but we don't hear their voice or we don't prioritize their voice. Or maybe they aren't saying what a vast majority of other people of color are saying. And that's why it's so important to have. a plethora of diverse voices speaking into our lives. Because when we consistently listen to a diversity of voices, we're gonna hear these types of perspectives. It won't be hard to find them. This is how we kill echo chambers, right? We diversify our influencing voices. And because of the lack of
1: diverse voices, voices of disagreement were absent. They couldn't influence my friend. This is reflected uh, very well by
0: the reality that Ahmad couldn't give his testimony of what happened.
1: But the white killers could. Ahmad's narrative was dismissed, there's no legal uh, documenting of it. His voice was destroyed. Literally. We must ask if we're doing the same thing to the voices of color in our world, are we killing those voices? Are we burying them and only listening to the voices that commit those acts with us? Here's another problem with It's that not only are there uh
0: a majority of white voices being heard but the white voices are being
1: trusted when black voices are not it's hard to trust what we don't hear we just covered
0: that we have a need for diversity of voices right we have to listen to people who don't look like us who don't live like us who are in different social classes than us economic
1: classes uh Otherwise, we're only going to hear ourselves. But even when we hear them, a lot
0: of the time, we tend to trust people who sound, who look like us. For many of us white folks, there's an inherently higher level of trust for the words of fellow white people for one or more reasons. We may not want to admit that, but if we're honest, we find that it's often true because we've been raised to value white voices more. And maybe no one intentionally taught us that. Maybe no one said, hey, make sure you listen to white people more. Make sure white people are more trusted. People aren't going to flat out say that, right? Unless they're um, an outright bigot or white supremacist. But we still receive that message a lot of the time. And part of it is, if we are drowning in
1: white voices, we just inherently will think these are the voices to trust those who are familiar with lynching know it when they see it and they call it what it is
0: a lot of black people from the get were saying oh yeah this is a lynching straight up and white folks straight up often only admit a lynching or a murder is what it is when they can no longer refute it on any grounds That is, we give white folks the benefit of the doubt and treat them as innocent until proven guilty, but we treat people of color the opposite, assuming they're guilty until proven innocent. And we suspect from the start that they were in the wrong somehow. This is part of the reason why when incidents like this happen, we very quickly say, well, what did they do wrong? Or what have they done wrong in the past? My friend in this discussion, as you'll remember, appealed to the fact that this person one time in their past, brought a gun to
1: a high school basketball game. That made them a criminal and a really bad person. That's not a healthy practice. It's not a loving practice. That's a posture
0: of assuming guilt of someone. They must have done something wrong, and so they must have deserved this in some way. Or, like, it just makes them less innocent in our minds. Why are
1: we defaulting to that position? We should ask ourselves that. What's wild about this is that there was a trust
0: in the testimony of those who actually broke the law, the McMichaels, Uh, according to all evidence, the people who killed this man
1: did everything wrong, but their voices are being trusted more and they are the ones who were able to give a,
0: an account for what happened. But everyone else who gives an account of Ahmad's character,
1: of his regular practices of jogging, uh, they weren't heard, they weren't trusted.
0: Law-abiding citizens who knew this man are dismissed, their voices not heard. The mother of Ahmad, the community that surrounded him weren't
1: trusted, but, his white murderers were. That's a hard pill to swallow. The authorities as well were trusted, but the authorities in this matter did their jobs inadequately. And we should be able to observe that they did their job wrong. But we didn't, because a lot of the
0: time, white folks especially have a blind trust or an over deserving trust in the authorities, in the police. Here's what happened that was wrong. Remember, Greg McMichael
1: was an officer for Glenn County where this happened. Uh, They
0: were treated, they treated accomplices, when the police showed up, they came up and they treated these accomplices to the murder as witnesses to a murder. They didn't consider them to be involved even though they drove there with their trucks, they filmed it, they had their own guns and they were a part of the whole thing. They just said, oh, you witnessed it let's take um your your account of what happened let's let's take your testimony and then they didn't arrest or hold for questioning the killer or their accomplices in fact they even said that there was a case there was a
1: cause to hold them to arrest them but they didn't do it higher ups told them no you can let them go but why why would um
0: Higher ups, why would prosecutors say they don't need to be charged? They don't need to be arrested. Well, the initial prosecutor handling the matter who dismissed it knew Greg McMichael.
1: They had worked together. Eventually, he got off the case. But they didn't pursue, they didn't pursue further action until
0: pressured by the larger community. Assumed innocence of the killers was made, despite evidence proving that they committed crimes, and the
1: victim, Ahmad did not. I was saying a minute ago that white people have a deeper trust
0: in the legal authorities, but those authorities have historically served the benefit of white people over and against people of color, and maybe that's part of why white people tend to have a higher trust. They don't do as much wrong to white people. They don't police the suburbs the same way they do inner cities. They don't police the rich
1: as much as they do the poor. Right? When we look at the history of policing, when we look
0: at the history of just state authorities and how they treat black bodies or bodies of color versus white people, we think about how people of color are over policed, over ticketed, frisked, assaulted, fined, arrested, convicted, abused in prison, and executed. All of this happens disproportionately to black people than to white. They receive more of this treatment and they receive it more severely at every level. White people, a white person, and a black person will be arrested for the same crime. And more often than not, the black person is going to be persecuted more heavily. We think about the whole history of America and the genocide of native peoples. We think of slave masters. We think of uh, the laws that were established to benefit white landowning men as opposed to black men and women. We think of slave patrols, which are the beginning of policing to catch runaway slaves and return them. We think of segregation, we think of Jim Crow, we think of mass incarceration and the new Jim Crow. And we think about the 13th amendment, which has changed slavery from being allowed just, you know, uh, at will for our economic reasons to only existing when someone has committed a crime. Slavery is still legal. And that's why we have mass incarceration is
1: because the 13th amendment moved slavery to only existing for prisoners. White people don't see the
0: problem as much because authorities aren't hurting us as much. In fact, they're benefiting us. We're often quick to assume that someone with a criminal record is guilty even after their initial crime, right? Um, And this is part of our problem. The precedent is set by our justice system, which punishes rather than restores. We we don't work at reconciliation. As Christians, we are people who are focused on reconciliation. Jesus has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We're not about punishment or revenge, but our justice system is. Uh, Felons, for example, can't vote. There's a lot of jobs they can't get either, even if they weren't violent or sexual offenders. You simply aren't trusted by society at large after you serve your sentence. We say, here's what you have to do to make up for your debt to society, and then we say, actually, there's more, and there's more, and it never ends. We as a society are not forgiving. We assume past behavior defines a person and
1: dictates their current behavior rather than assuming that they have learned or matured. That's why when someone who has a criminal record and we look up, we we see these
0: sorts of incidents, these injustices, and we look to see, were they a criminal already? Because if they're a criminal, we think, well, maybe in some part they deserved it, or at least they're not as human as the people who killed them, or I can care less about them because I think they're dirty or bad or wrong in some way because of a past action. I'm not saying my friend said that or thought that,
1: But sometimes we think that in the back of our mind. And I think another problem with this is that we are quick to assume black people are more criminal than white people. Why though? Maybe because historic
0: representations of black people associate them with crime. Um, There are intentional narratives to demean black people. If you think of movies like Birth of a Nation, uh, or even just publications in American history that treat black people as animalistic, as beasts, as rapists, as criminals. We have stories, even good ones, of runaway slaves. We have so many depictions of black bodies connected to chains and nooses. And however they're portrayed,
1: uh, it still puts in our mind this image of crime and punishment with black bodies. So when you see a black body, you're quick to think crime. You're quick to criminalize. That's not right. And we shouldn't do it. We've Trusted faulty science in our past,
0: Uh, and we've, and and even our laws said that people of color aren't fully people. We've said that they have lower IQ levels, and so they're more barbaric. They're not quite human. They're a fraction of a human, and thus they're more prone to unreasonableness and to crime. And they're not uh, people inherently who follow order. And we know that's not true. We know that's absolutely false but that's in our history. It's something
1: our grandparents may have thought. It's something our parents may have thought. There's also unjust policing against communities of color. More reported crime uh,
0: happens in highly populated, in neighborhoods that are highly populated by people of color. And so we look at the statistics and say, well, if they're committing more, if they're arrested more, They must be committing more crime, and so they must be more criminal by nature, but we know that's not true. But because we uh, disproportionately arrest and incarcerate people of color, there is this message in our society that people of color are more worthy of that treatment, that they are more criminal naturally, and we know this as well is not true. We simply fear and are suspect of what and who is unfamiliar to us. We often live in homogenous social circles and we fear what we don't know. That's everybody. Everybody fears what they don't know. And when we know that there's a history of racism, it brings attention up
1: whenever our white social circles encounter something new. A lot of us white Christians are quick to defend white people police, authorities, and self-proclaimed
0: Christians. And we're slow to hear, support, defend, speak up for, and find solidarity with people of color. The sin of racism and the spirit of white supremacy grab hold of us, and we have to do the hard work with God's spirit to allow ourselves to be liberated from those evils we have inherited implicit bias, colonized sources of influence, and a system that benefits us and is thus hard to see the faults in. And beginning to see the faults in these things can feel like a betrayal of ourselves, of of the country that we grew up in, of our faith or our parents even.
1: To question those things can feel like betrayal, but it's imperative that we question them. Because what we've received isn't always perfect. It's not always good. It's not always helpful. It's not always loving or true. And if we are people who wanna seek justice
0: um, within ourselves and for our society, we have to call all that into question. If you've read the book or seen the movie Just Mercy about Bryan Stevenson's work with the Equal Justice Initiative, you know that the corruption of police and court systems to condemn and kill black people is nothing new and nowhere near uncommon in the United States. Ahmaud Arbery was executed and forsaken in Glen County, Georgia. Glenn County has a history of illegal police activity,
1: abuse, sexual misconduct and coverups to protect the police. Ahmad is not an anomaly in Glen County, Georgia, or in the United States.
0: This is a pattern of a system designed to do exactly
1: this type of work. Gregory McMichael was a part of Glen County
0: um, authorities. He knew the system, the bad dealings, the abuse, and the covering up of crimes to protect the police. He knew the law. He knew what citizen's arrests were supposed to look like. And he went against it, knowing all he knows. And it's no wonder that this case was so egregiously
1: mishandled. McMichael had retired from duty less than a year prior to this murder. Now, I just said a whole lot, and uh, it's
0: just a scratching on the surface. So I encourage you to continue listening, learning, and working for racial justice and equity. It's hard work, it's good work. If you wanna start unlearning well, here are some things that you can commonly do day to day. Number one, accept that we all have unlearning to do, and that it's okay to grow out of who we've been and how we've lived. It isn't a betrayal to anyone. Number two, ask why you think or assume what you do when you approach these issues. Think critically about your own responses because it comes from somewhere, it has a source. Number three, take note of what voices you listen to the most, who you're trusting the most in your social media, your news media, your pastors, authors, visual artists, music, you know. And four, seek out more diverse voices and relationships and listen really patiently. Some other resources to consider on the topic of lynching in America um, and how white people respond to all this or um, maybe how we're ignorant towards it, I'd encourage you to watch on YouTube a video entitled The Cross and the Lynching Tree, a Requiem for Ahmad Arborary. I'd encourage you to also read the book, The Cross and the Lynching Tree, authored by James A. Cohn. It's a masterpiece. Another good book is White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by Robin D'Angelo. Another great book is Lynching in America, Confronting the Legacy of Racial Terror by the Equal Justice Initiative. Another book, Lynching, Violence, Rhetoric, and American Identity, by Ursula J. Orr. And finally, I'd also uh, encourage you to watch the movie 13th on Netflix, which dives into some of the stuff we've talked about here regarding uh, mass incarceration and slavery moving uh, into the prison system. Thank you for joining me on this bonus episode. Again, if I uh, rubbed you the wrong way or if I made you uncomfortable or defensive, Let's talk about it. We'd love to hear from you. Email us at hello at the other half podcast.com. give us your feedback, hit us up on our social media. We have Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, find us, chat with us, and let's keep unlearning and learning together. Be blessed, my friends, thank you so much.